ಅಸತೋಮಸದ್ಗಮಯ ತಮಸೋಮ್ಯೋತಿರ್ಗಮಯ ಮೃತ್ಯೋರ್ಮೃತಂಗಮಯ ಲೀಡರ್ಸ್ ಫ್ರಮ್ ದ ಅನ್ರಿಯಲ್ ಟು ದ ರಿಯಲ್ ಲೀಡರ್ಸ್ ಫ್ರಮ್ ಡಾರ್ಕ್ನೆಸ್ ಟು ಲೈಟ್ ಲೀಡರ್ಸ್ ಫ್ರಮ್ ಡೆತ್ ಟು ಇಮಾರ್ಟಾಲಿಟಿ ಓಂ ಫೀಸ್ 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 ಬಿಯನ್ ಟು ಅಸ್ ಫೀಸ್ ಬಿಯನ್ ಟು ಓಂ friends the subject for today's service is aids to concentration how to improve our concentration how to gather in a dispersed mind and focus it on the task in hand this is a common question in the minds of people youngsters grown up everyone in our centers in india we conduct now and then youth camps to expose them to the strengthening teachings of swami vivekananda and in most sessions after the talk there will be question answer sessions and you can be sure there will be a number of questions from those youngsters both boys and girls on this topic how to improve concentration worded differently but this important subject occupies the minds of youngsters grown ups all alike everyone who wants to do something and takes that something very seriously they have this question this concentration can be of two kinds external concentration concentration on external objects and then concentration on the divine form within which relates to meditation but this concentration itself it's possible for human beings it's possible for human beings to concentrate their mind by choice on things and this concentration distinguishes human beings from animals animals to concentrate animals can concentrate on on food or animals can be trained to do certain things but then we can easily see even a trained animal is not able to concentrate in a sustained way we train the animal and expect the animal to respond in a way that any other trained human being would respond but it doesn't happen animals are not able to concentrate easily even with training and among human beings too the differences between human beings says swami vivekananda are explained by their differences in the level of concentration say swami vivekananda herein is the difference between man and the animals man has the greater power of concentration the difference in their power of concentration also constitutes the difference between man and man 
Compare the lowest with the highest man. The difference is in the degree of concentration. This is the only difference. Emphasizing this importance of concentration in acquiring knowledge of any kind, not to speak of spiritual knowledge, Swami Vivekananda says, this concentration is the core of education. This concentration can open the floodgates of knowledge. He gives us brilliant definition of education. He says, to me, the very essence of education is concentration of mind, not the collecting of facts. If I had to do my education all over again and had any voice in the matter, I would not study facts at all. I would develop the power of concentration and detachment. And then with a perfect instrument, I could collect facts at will. So training the mind, cultivating the capacity to concentrate the mind on things we want, that's a very challenging task, but left only for human beings. Elsewhere, Swami Vivekananda explains what is true freedom. Swami Vivekananda says, we say, we think, we do, etc. It is not so. We think because we have to think. We act because we have to. We are slaves to ourselves and to others. And this slavery we find is due to our samskaras, our impressions. Our impressions make us think, our impressions make us act. The impressions we have gathered by our thoughts and actions over so many years, over so many lifetimes. Every one of us is a bundle of these impressions called samskaras in Sanskrit. So we have good impressions, bad impressions, good and bad again being relative terms, but we understand what it means. So we are all a bundle of all these good and bad impressions. And Swami Vivekananda teaches that the sum total of all these impressions, good and bad, determines our character. If the sum total is positive, we are said to have good character. Negative, we have bad character. So these impressions are very important. And we have gathered these impressions ourselves. Not that someone else has thrust these impressions onto our mind. Our own thoughts, our own actions have resulted in these impressions which are registered in the mind, not in the brain, which is a gross part of our personality. The brain is not all. The brain is an instrument. If the brain doesn't function all right, we won't be able to see, hear, touch, taste, all that is true. We won't be able to think, we won't be able to remember. But that's not the mind, that's an instrument. But the mind, that is where the impressions are stored. And these impressions determine our character. These impressions determine how we react to situations, how much we are able to concentrate, how identical situations are faced in different ways by different people is accounted for by this sum total of impressions. 
So these samskaras, they determine how we react. Whether we react as masters of our mind or we remain slaves to our mind and senses. Swami Vivekananda says, we obey them blindly, unquestioningly and slavery, the most helpless kind of slavery is the result and we call ourselves free. Free. We who cannot for a moment govern our own minds, nay, cannot hold our minds on a subject, focus it on a point to the exclusion of everything else for a moment, yet we call ourselves free. Think of it, Swami Vivekananda continues, think of it, we cannot do as we know we ought to do even for a very short space of time. Some sense desire will crop up, and immediately we obey it. Our conscience smites us for such weakness, but again and again we do it. We are always doing it. We cannot live up to a high standard of life. Try as we will. The ghosts of past thoughts, past lives, hold us down. All the misery of the world is caused by this slavery to the senses. So those are powerful words from Swami Vivekananda. Free. We call ourselves free. I'll repeat that sentence. Free. We who cannot for a moment govern our own minds, nay, cannot hold our minds on a subject, focus it on a point to the exclusion of everything else for a moment, for a moment, yet we call ourselves free. So now this makes us think about what is true freedom. Does freedom consist in being able to do whatever we want to do? In a way, yes. But whatever the mind wants to do, every random desire that arises in the mind, fulfilling that, is that freedom? That is freedom of some kind. But that is freedom for the mind, freedom for the senses. But a spiritual seeker who has self-realization or God-realization as the goal of life has to think about another freedom. The first freedom was freedom for the senses, freedom for the mind to do as they please. The mind goes behind one of the sense organs, the ears, the skin, the eyes, the tongue and the nose. And those organs in turn are always eager to come in contact with their respective sense objects sound, form, touch, etc. And we follow them. We, divinities on earth, says Swami Vivekananda, we divinities, we the Atman, supposed to be detached from the mind, supposed to be detached from the body, supposed to be of the nature of infinite bliss, infinite existence, infinite knowledge. We go behind the mind, the mind goes behind the senses, the senses go behind objects, that's what is life. Life of slavery to the mind and the senses. That's because there is freedom for the mind and the senses. But spiritual seekers want freedom from the mind and the senses. We don't want to blindly follow what any desire arising in our mind wants us to do. 
we want to be ourselves we want to focus the mind on something we are interested in something we know is beneficial to us rather than letting the mind follow its own line of least resistance senses sense objects so true freedom is freedom from the mind and the senses so this concentration of mind obviously doesn't happen we need training for it the mind can concentrate itself spontaneously sure it does toward objects of enjoyment sound touch form taste and smell in fulfilling a desire the mind and the senses are attached to the sense object and the mind concentrates on that but swami vivekananda wants about one point the mind concentrates all right on objects it can be inanimate objects it can be living beings whom we consider to be our own this entire world is centered on them swamiji says this kind of a concentration without detachment is sure to lead us to misery that's why swami vivekananda says along with the power of concentration especially when it refers to external concentration we must also cultivate the power of detachment at a moment's notice when we need to detach from something we should have the freedom to detach ourselves that training is also equally important says swami vivekananda in a lecture on concentration swami vivekananda says we should put our minds on things they should not draw our minds to them by choice we concentrate our mind on something but the objects external objects sound touch taste form these are objects these objects have a special attraction to senses that is what swami vivekananda says here we should put our minds on things they should not draw our minds to them we are usually forced to concentrate by the objects our minds are forced to become fixed upon different things by an attraction in them which we cannot resist to control the mind to place it just where we want it requires special training it cannot be done in any other way we have an important verse in the kathopanishad which describes the hierarchy of different levels of human personality it starts with the sense objects are superior to the senses and then it says the mind is superior to the sense organs buddhi is superior to the mind and then superior to everything is the atman but let's consider the first part the sense objects are superior to the sense organs actually inside sense organs superior to that is the mind superior to that is buddhi superior to that is the atman so if you follow this train sense organs must have been superior to the sense objects which are outside but no sense organs are inferior in that they are attracted to the sense objects that's because of their composition that will take us 
to some technical analysis. But we can just know this much, that according to Vedanta, the Tanmatras, the five elements, they form the building blocks of creation. Ether, air, fire, water and earth. So these subtle Tanmatras, they are responsible for creation. From the subtle essence of these Tanmatras are formed sense objects. From their gross aspect are formed the sense organs. So the objects from the subtle and the organs from the gross aspect of these Tanmatras. So that explains the attraction the objects have for the senses. Anyway, we just need to remember this, this particular teaching of Swami Vivekananda. We should put our mind on things. They should not draw our minds to them. Our minds are forced to become fixed upon different things by attraction in them, which we cannot resist. To control the mind, to place it just where we want it, requires special training. It cannot be done in any other way. So it's clear that concentration needs training, needs special effort. And we find from the Gita, Bhagavad Gita, how Sri Krishna teaches Arjuna how to focus the mind. He says, every time the mind strays from the object of meditation, Withdraw this fickle and unsteady mind and restore it to the control of the self, control of the Atman. The mind keeps straying. To stray is the nature of the mind. It doesn't stay put in a particular point, especially with regard to time. The mind doesn't settle on the present any time. We have a book in hand and results of study let's say for an hour, and we can know, assuming that there are no disturbances whatsoever externally, each one of us can ask this question, how much we are able to concentrate on the book in hand. That's because of the mind. The eyes are open, the book is open. Suddenly we have gone somewhere else. We, not the body, the body is here. The eyes are open, the books are open. But we have gone somewhere else. I have gone somewhere else, outside this place, to New York, to Delhi. Suddenly I realize, I sat with the book in hand. Then I come back, again try to concentrate. So this concentration happens in spurts, not a continuous thing. It happens as a continuous thing, provided we have trained our mind. So Sri Krishna says, Every time the mind strays from the object of meditation or your task in hand, bring it back. Withdraw this fickle and unsteady mind from whatever causes it to wander away and restore it to the control of the self alone. And elsewhere in the Gita, Sri Krishna says, little by little attain tranquility with the help of buddhi, armed with fortitude. Once the mind is established in the self, think of nothing else. So this buddhi, 
translated as intellect most of the time, is the instrument with the help of which we train the mind and we achieve concentration of mind. This buddhi is the seat of willpower, is the seat of discrimination, practicing discrimination. Discrimination between the right and the wrong, beneficial and the pleasant. All this happens at the level of the will, buddhi. It's buddhi again which helps us make decisions. Some people cannot make decisions. That's because decision is always associated with responsibility. If I make decisions for myself, I should assume the consequences. That is where people are afraid. So people want someone else to decide for them. So that if something goes wrong, you have someone to blame. So this decision making also is this function of buddhi. And the more awake this buddhi is, the more meaningful becomes spiritual life. So this is the most important instrument for a spiritual seeker. So we need to be consciously decisive in little things of life, including what time to get up, what to eat, what clothes to put on. If you're decisive in these things, we'll be decisive in bigger things, more significant things. And it is buddhi which helps us achieve this concentration. It is buddhi which helps us exercise the power of discrimination. And it helps us in decision making. The place of buddhi and mind with reference to the Atman, with reference to the body, is very beautifully illustrated in the Katopanishad in the chariot imagery. The Katopanishad says, the human body can be compared to a chariot and the self can be compared to the master of the chariot. Buddhi, the seat of discrimination, is compared to the charioteer who drives the chariot. He is supposed to steer the chariot to its destination where the master wants it to go. And manas, the mind that we are familiar with, is compared to the reins in the hands of the charioteer, the other ends of which are fastened to five horses, which are compared to five sense organs, the ear, the skin, the eyes, and the tongue, and the nose, these are the five sense organs. So the master of the chariot is the self, the Atman, and the charioteer, the driver, is Buddhi. And Buddhi has Manas, which is compared to the reins. Manas means mind. So Manas is the reins, and the other end of the reins, five ends, they are fastened to five horses, which are five sense organs. So you have the self, buddhi, manas, 
and then sense organs. The master charioteer reigns five horses. So this is the imagery that the Kato Upanishad gives us. And it says, imagine the horses are not well trained and the charioteer is asleep. What happens to the chariot? It doesn't reach its destination for sure. Which way the chariot takes is determined by the most powerful of the horses. Each horse can pull the chariot in whatever direction it wants and it could even overturn the chariot and spell the death of the master. On the other hand, the Upanishad says, if the horses are broken in and if the charioteer is wide awake with the reins firmly held in his hands, the chariot will reach its destination. Similarly, says the Upanishad, if the buddhi is wide awake and if the senses are well trained, the mind held in leash by buddhi and the senses are well trained, this human life reaches its destination, which is the divinity. Manifestation of the divinity, which is potential in us, that is the goal of religion, teaches Swami Vivekananda. We are all divine, not this body, not this mind, not what we appear to others from outside. But we are essentially divine, teaches Vedanta, irrespective of any differences. So we will be able to realize the divinity and become completely free of bondage to mind and body and everything else in the world, provided the buddhi is wide awake, the mind held in leash, reined in, and the horses, the senses, the five senses are well controlled. So now we understand the importance of buddhi, the importance of keeping it awake all the time. And if it is asleep, it's the mind and the senses which determine the course of our life, which means slavery, as Swami Vivekananda explained. Happy this moment, confused the next moment, because I am one with the mind. Some clarity this moment, completely muddled the next moment. That's because I am totally one with the mind. So the mind determines whether I am peaceful, whether I am confused, restless. The mind and the senses determine how we act, how we react. And Swami Vivekananda says, yet we call ourselves free. So this buddhi is the most important instrument for mind control, for concentration of mind. We discuss all this background under age to concentration because we need to have this very clear. We need to have this point very clear that we need to distance ourselves from the mind every time. We are not the mind. But we think the mind is confused now, gradually it will become clear. It will become clear when it wants, in a very random way. So the mind doesn't change. If it changes, it changes for the worse. Thanks to all the input we receive, all the actions we do, all the thoughts we think. We need to keep that point also in mind. The samskaras that we have gathered, 
grow in strength with every repetition of the action or thought that gave rise to it in the first place. So the mind can change for the worse. That can happen spontaneously. But for the mind to grow in purity, for the mind to grow in detachment, we need to work. Efforts are required. With passage of time, changes happen only in the body. The body grows, undergoes transformation, it decays and dies. No effort is required on our part. But for the mind to grow in refinement, for us to manifest this hidden divinity, we need to do work, self-effort. And that self-effort is done with the help of buddhi. Every time we assert ourselves against the mind, this restless enemy mind, we identify ourselves with buddhi. It's not that buddhi is somewhere we take hold of it and then, then train the mind. We are the Atman essentially, outside the Atman is Buddhi. And when we distance ourselves from the mind, we abide as Buddhi, energized by the Atman. This point needs to be very, very clear in our mind. That's why just a translation doesn't help us. Sometimes Buddhi is translated as the intellect, sometimes as reason, sometimes as understanding, sometimes as just thought. It's better to understand certain Sanskrit words, a few of them, with all its different shades of meaning. That's a limitation. Shraddha. We're not going to discuss that. Shraddha is another word, which is just translated as faith. But it's much more than faith. So the buddhi, the seat of discrimination, the seat of the will, every time we assert our will, and do something that is beneficial to us, whether the mind wants it or not, buddhi comes into play. And the more we do it, the better for us as spiritual seekers. Now, we'll discuss certain aids to concentration. How do we effect this concentration? With this background, one thing is very clear that we need to keep the buddhi awake all the time. We need to assert our independence from the mind all the time. That means we need to have faith in our higher self. We need to have faith in the fact that we are divine, divine beings. I am a child of God. I am a spark of the divine fire. We need to repeatedly think of this. And the more we think of this, the stronger we become. So this challenge of mind discipline and concentrating it on something beneficial, on a divine form and the divine name, becomes possible with this faith in ourselves, faith in our higher selves. Sri Ramakrishna teaches, I have repeated the name of the Divine Mother. How can I be weak anymore? How can I sin anymore? That's the attitude of a spiritual seeker. Nothing happens by chance. Nothing happens in a random way. We need to work on it ourselves. So that faith in ourselves, what Swami Vivekananda said, 
is not different from what Sri Ramakrishna teaches. Have this much strong faith. I have repeated the name of God. How can I be weak anymore? And Sri Ramakrishna says, we should be able to tell God, I might have done bad things before, but I won't repeat them. When we take the name of God, when we surrender ourselves to God, we become pure that moment. We need to believe in this. But we need to also resolve not to continue the old way. Volitionally, that is where sincerity comes in. So that becomes possible when we have this faith, repeatedly telling ourselves, I am a child of God. Not I am a sinner, I am a weakling, but I am a son of God, I am a child of God. If God is pure, I am pure. If God is strong, I am strong. When God is my father, God is my mother, their property is my property. So that kind of a strength is fundamental to concentration. Of course, we discuss concentration, inward concentration on a spiritual ideal. But it will equally help us in external concentration when it is required. And we saw that Swami Vivekananda said, we need to cultivate the power of detachment along with this power of concentration. We learn to put the mind on something, but if you're not able to extricate the mind from that, what results is misery. So the detachment is another step. Arjuna wants to know from Sri Krishna how to control this mind, this restless, fickle, obstinate mind. How to control this mind? To control this mind is like controlling wind, I think. Sri Krishna says, yes, this mind is obstinate. This mind is restless. It's fickle. All that is true. But it can be controlled by two things. Practice and detachment. So practice, repeatedly settling the mind on what we think to be beneficial. There is practice, whether the mind wants it or not, repeatedly making the mind what we think is good. And that's not enough. We need detachment. Detachment from everything that does not help us in achieving this concentration. And that brings us to this important teaching of having to be careful about what we gather through our senses and the mind. We said we need to detach ourselves from everything that doesn't help us in concentration. And we saw earlier, our samskaras are responsible for our lack of concentration. Lack of strength of mind is responsible for lack of concentration. Strength of mind means strength of will. And why is the mind not strong? because it is dispersed, it's dissipated in different directions. That's the nature of the mind. When the mind is dispersed, when our mental energies are wasted by random, aimless celebrations, there is hardly any left for us to concentrate the mind on something. Because we don't know that we are different from the mind. We are one with the mind. Who is to concentrate the mind on what? So the mind determines what it will concentrate on. 
The horses determine where the chariot will go, not the master, not the charioteer. So conservation of energy, not only in the physical world, but it's more true in the mental world. We don't get new energy. Whatever energy we have needs to be employed in constructive channels. Then we have energy left to discipline the mind, to concentrate the mind on what we think is true and beneficial. Swami Vivekananda says, almost all our suffering is caused by our not having the power of detachment. So along with the development of concentration, we must develop the power of detachment. So we'll have to detach ourselves from every thought that arises in the mind, every confusing state that the mind is in, every random thinking, every unfounded fear in the mind. We need to learn to detach ourselves from all this. When we are attached to these thoughts, we are one with the mind and our energy gets dissipated. So, this detachment is very important. Along with this detachment and concerned with this detachment is being careful about what we gather through our senses and the mind. When we gather any and every kind of ideas through the mind, by hearing things, by reading things, and we gather any and every kind of stimulus through the five senses, the ears, the skin, the eyes, the nose and the tongue, anything without exercising any discrimination, just take in whatever comes. When that is the case, the senses can take in whatever they want, the mind can take in whatever it wants in the form of ideas. Concentration is out of the question. You cannot expect to clean a room when someone else is throwing dirt from the other side of the room. That's another important point. We need to be quality conscious about what we take in through the senses and the mind, if you are serious about concentration. So that's another help to concentration. And this, asserting ourselves all the time against the mind, that should be a constant exercise. We are one with the mind most of the time. That's why all this misery. But of course, just by hearing, just by reading, we don't become detached. But every time we realize that we become one with the mind, it took us for a ride. We need to assert our independence and be alert. Alert against the mind. If the mind thinks of something else that is going to happen or something that has already happened, instead of identifying ourselves with that, we need to focus the mind on the task in hand. And if it is meditation, on the object of our meditation. So this assertion has to be a full-time exercise. We cannot afford to have a vacation as far as watching the mind is concerned. That means even in vacation, this kind of watching the mind has to be a part of our life. Because if you are serious about concentration, giving a free rein to this mind just will not help us. Sri Krishna says in the Gita, 6th chapter, 
we should uplift ourselves by ourselves. That means we should uplift this mind with the help of buddhi. And he says, because one's own mind is one's enemy, one's own mind is one's friend. And he continues, a mind that has been trained acts as our friend. A mind that has not known training always acts as our enemy. Enemy in that we have an ideal. We believe in doing things, thinking things in a way that we are able to realize the ideal. The mind doesn't help us. The mind doesn't help us in cultivating good habits, in kicking bad habits. That is where it acts as the enemy. We don't realize that the mind acts as our enemy until we have a higher ideal in life and begin to strive for it. Otherwise, it's a programmed life as dictated by place, as dictated by circumstances, as dictated by people. But when I have an ideal and I choose to realize that ideal, then I begin to understand the mind doesn't help me. The mind doesn't cooperate with me most of the time. I try to be regular in my spiritual practice. How much does my mind cooperate with me? Granted that I am able to sit regularly, how much does the mind help me concentrate on the ideal within? Anyway, that's the nature of the mind. So what's required is we need to distance ourselves from the mind, assert ourselves against the mind. There is a beautiful Vedantic treatise called Drugdrishya Viveka, discrimination between the seer and the seen, attributed to Sri Shankaracharya. The very first verse from the Drugdrishya Viveka goes like this The form is perceived, and the eye is its perceiver. The eye is perceived, and the mind is its perceiver. The mind with its modifications is perceived and the witness, the self, is verily the perceiver. But the witness is not perceived by anything. We find that in this chain, buddhi is missing. But then, by mind, all the functions of the mind are meant in this particular verse. So the form is perceived, the eye is the perceiver. The I is perceived, the mind is the perceiver. We insert this one more step. The mind is the perceived, the buddhi is the perceiver. And the buddhi is perceived, the atman is the perceiver. The atman, that witness, that is the perceiver. So we need to be a perceiver all the time, not be perceived. That means if you are identified with the mind, we are identified with objects, objects of the atman. The Atman is the only subject. So, this assertion against the mind has to be cultivated. And every time we forget this, we need to again remember and again assert ourselves against the mind and not give any credence to this mind, whatever goes on in the mind, some kind of a fear, some kind of anxiety. And what's in the mind may never happen. But it's enough. The mind gets really concerned about it and it saps us of all our energy. No meaningful self-effort becomes possible because of this restless mind. And 
this disciplining the mind trying to focus it on an ideal cannot be just a part time occupation we saw that just now we try to focus the mind on the ideal on a divine name on a divine form during our prayer and meditation morning evening 15 minutes 20 minutes half an hour that can become fruitful only if we keep taps on the mind during other times also give a free rein to the mind during other times and expect it to concentrate on the ideal within during our prayer time doesn't happen because it's the same mind so swami vivekananda teaches how to do work the gita teaches how to do work to work alone you have the right not to the fruits thereof let the fruits not be the motive for your action and don't be attached to inaction either every work has its purpose that's true we do everything with some purpose in mind that's perfect all right but what the gita says is once you're very clear about the purpose once you have defined the means to be adopted to attain that purpose don't worry about that end don't worry about that goal that's why the gita says to work alone you have the right not to the fruits of work that means don't keep on being anxious about the outcome of work how will this be will it be as i expected or will it be otherwise when i think on these lines while i am doing work i am wasting precious mental energy i am letting the mind dissipate itself and when the mind dissipates itself there is hardly energy left to do the work properly and that can certainly affect adversely the outcome of work that's why to work alone we have the right that means focus the mind on the task in hand whether it is doing any kind of work or meditation when we do work with this attitude not letting the mind drift wherever it wants not letting the mind grow anxious about the results of our action we conserve precious energy and we grow in strength our buddhi becomes more and more awake and swami vivekananda teaches how to work that's a great mantra only couched in english language when you're doing any work say swami vivekananda do not think of anything beyond do it as worship as the highest worship and devote your whole life to it for the time being when you're doing any work do not think of anything beyond anything beyond this work even the cup of tea that awaits us after the completion of this work don't think of that put your mind your whole being on the task in hand in the present the mind always wants to think of the future or the past it never settles on the present that's the nature of the mind so we don't need to curse ourselves my mind is restless my mind is always uh, anxious that's the nature of the mind so we need to try to be different that involves struggle so swami vivekananda says here when you are doing any work do not think of anything beyond do it as worship as the highest worship and devote your whole life to it for the time being he said that is the secret of work 
devote your whole life to it for the time being means your body mind senses everything is focused on the task in hand it can be any work when we do that we are able to do meditation better when we do our meditation better we are able to work better we are able to concentrate better if you are able to concentrate better on outside things with the mind held in leash not letting it go here and there the same buddhi the same mind helps us do our meditation also in a better way and the next important aid to concentration is to have a fixed daily routine for our activities the need for this can never be overemphasized this seems to be a very simple solution having a daily routine of course we have some kind of a daily routine during our work days but what's most important is a daily routine on off days but our mind immediately will rebel at this idea if you have a daily routine do fix things at fixed time that will only make you mechanical it will sap you of all creativity that's because the mind doesn't want a routine the mind gives you all kinds of reasons and we are one with the mind so we don't analyze we just take it on face value so following a routine the mind doesn't like so we are one with the mind so we also don't like and we think just taking it easy just letting the mind flit from one thing to another is what we think is relaxation but what happens is nothing other than waste of our precious mental energy if you don't have fixed time for fixed things a time to get up a time for ablutions a time for prayer a time for breakfast a time for other things studies if you don't have that the mind keeps flitting from one thing to another you sit on your couch and then think let's say at 9 o'clock what shall i do now so many things flit across the mind shall i read the newspaper shall i shall i call my friend shall i sit for my prayer shall i go for a shower so many options the mind keeps on thinking so many things it will keep on thinking other things also which are not related to your doing something aimless aimless wandering and after about half an hour we think we have relaxed but we don't understand that we have not done any of the options that the mind contemplated that's the trick the mind plays on us the mind wants randomness the mind wants chaos the mind dislikes order of any kind order of any kind means the mind is being disciplined so fixed daily routine at 9 o'clock suppose you think you are going to read the newspaper or whatever you have your breakfast at 7:30 or 8 if you have fixed time for all this you don't give the mind the luxury of flitting from one thing to another and robbing you of your energy so this one simple step this one simple aid is a very important aid in a very unconscious way we see that our character is strengthened our will is strengthened our character is formed
if you are persistent with this daily routine not trying to think of many things but ordering our daily life we know what we are doing during our uh, free time what are the different possibilities we don't need to do anything new but what we do what are the possibilities we can list and try to do them in an organized way we can be sure that the mind is not going to let us do it and that is excuse enough for us to abandon the idea immediately that's because we are one with the mind it all comes back to that we are one with the mind that's why we are confused that's why we have a spiritual ideal this moment the next moment we are swept completely off by some random thought that arises in the mind so if we have a daily routine and begin to follow it our very following asserts our independence against the mind that asserting our independence against the mind as we saw earlier this can never be overemphasized for a spiritual seeker as long as we continue to be one with the mind no meaningful growth becomes possible so detaching ourselves from the mind not trusting this mind which is going to be our enemy for a long long time to come that's required for a spiritual seeker anyway it's with the help of this mind that we got to repeat the name that we got to pray all that is true but when the mind gives excuses against prayer against some order that is the time to knock it on its head and assert our independence so this having a daily routine doesn't make our mind mechanical doesn't make us some kind of robots but it strengthens our will and it fashions our character and that brings us to the next point regularity in prayer and spiritual practice prayer meditation scriptural studies all this all this falls under spiritual practice regularity in this of course when we have a daily routine this spiritual practice is also covered in that but we need to remember how important prayer is prayer not everyone may have a prayerful temperament but everyone prays sometime or other some people have a more intense kind of prayerful temperament but it's good to know this important thing about prayer we pray to god within visualizing god within or we pray to god outside a picture of the divine form we are trying to meditate on we pray it can be a silent prayer gradually of course this verbal prayer gives way to silent prayer when we pray that particular moment of prayer when we are praying at the same time any other thought cannot coexist in the mind it can be just a second you pray grant me devotion you don't need to verbalize it just a silent prayer at the same time no other thought can exist in the mind so this prayer is a great help for a devotee of god this prayer is the devotee's way of gathering in a dispersed mind when we try to do a spiritual practice with this prayerful attitude detaching ourselves from distractions and focusing the mind on god becomes easier
when you do our japa, when we repeat the name, a prayerful attitude, an attitude of seeking within. That attitude of seeking combined with japa, done with an alert mind, will certainly ensure that the mind doesn't flit. Because when the mind strays, prayer stops. Alertness vanishes. We keep doing japa, the mind has gone elsewhere. Suddenly we realize, and then we come back, we do it. That's how it should be. That's what Sri Krishna teaches in the Gita. Every time the mind strays from the ideal, bring it back patiently. So, prayer is very important for a spiritual seeker. When we pray during that time, distractions don't coexist in the mind. So the more we are able to pray, the less are the distractions. So that helps us practice what is called in Yoga Sutras, Pratyahara. Pratyahara means withdrawing the mind and the senses from objects. Withdrawing the mind and concentrating it on the ideal. And steadfastness in spiritual practice. Morning and evening. You find this in the teachings of Sri Ramakrishna, Swami Vivekananda, Holy Mother, Sri Sharada Devi. Holy Mother says, if you are regular in our practice, in our prayer, in the morning and evening, that acts as some kind of a rudder of a boat. If you are not regular in our practice, how can we know what the mind is, what the condition of the mind is? So this gives us an idea about the mind, the thoughts arising in the mind. When we are observant, when we do work, and when we regularly do our spiritual practice, we gain more and more knowledge of our mind and try to stay away from, detach ourselves from what is not helpful. When we know that the mind strays towards something, towards some person, when we are doing work or when we are doing meditation, some kind of a desire towards some person keeps on arising in the mind. That's a great knowledge. Instead of succumbing to that, a spiritual seeker tries not to expose himself or herself to such influences, mentally or physically. So, regularity is a great help. Help to concentration. Regularity in spiritual practice, regularity in prayer. So, the points we discussed today. Concentration. Differences in concentration account for the difference between animals and human beings. And also, these different levels of concentration account for differences among human beings themselves. The greatest person on the one side and the most mediocre on the other. The difference is in the level of concentration. And concentration is the core of education teaches Swami Vivekananda. Empirical education, concentration is the core. He said, I won't collect facts at all. I would rather learn mastery of the mind. And with this perfect instrument, I can collect facts at will. So that is true of secular education. It's more true of spiritual education, Brahma Vidya, that knowledge of Brahman, knowledge of the Atman, so concentration is the core. And next, this concentration doesn't happen spontaneously. It needs discipline. It needs self-effort. And we also saw the true freedom 
is not giving freedom to the mind and the senses, but securing freedom from the mind and the senses, asserting our independence from the mind and the senses. That is true freedom. Not letting the mind and senses do what they want. And we also saw merely cultivating concentration on external objects and not having detachment, not having the ability to detach ourselves at a moment's notice. That is the cause of all misery. So detachment needs to be cultivated. Detachment from everything that doesn't help us in this concentration. That should be cultivated along with the power of concentration. And we saw that all attempts at concentration involve the buddhi, the seat of discrimination and willpower, decision-making. So that helps us discipline the mind and focus it on the ideal. So this concentration, mind control, nothing can be more challenging than that. It's so challenging, so difficult to give an inward turn to the mind that Sri Shankaracharya compares this attempt to internalize the mind to reversing the course of a river, a river that has originated in the mountains, flowing in the plains, trying to reverse the course of the river and driving it back to the mountains. That's how difficult, how challenging mind control is, internalizing the mind is. But it's not impossible. It's possible only for human beings. Just as the challenge is difficult, equally promising are the rewards, rewards of mind control. And in practice we saw the first and fundamental thing that was required is faith in our higher self. We need to always remember that as children of God, we are pure. As sparks of the divine fire, we can, we can be steady, we can be steadfast in our spiritual practice. No negative thoughts, but always asserting our divine nature. And we saw we need to practice this witness attitude all the time. Witness of the mind, not being identified with the mind, but detaching ourselves from the mind all the time. That is required for anyone who is serious about achieving concentration, concentration of the mind on the truth within. And we saw the importance of having a fixed daily routine in strengthening the mind and fashioning our character. And then finally we saw how important prayer and spiritual practice, regularity in them is. Prayer, we saw, is a great help for a devotee to withdraw the mind from distractions. At the moment of prayer, no other thought can coexist. So, the more we consciously pray, one thing is the prayer is answered. And the second is, at that moment, the mind is not distracted. So these are some of the aids to concentration. Thank you.